Welcome to this week's Silk Grassroots Podcast, The Final Whistle, brought to you by the Down to Play app. <laughs> Grassroots football is finally back and we're buzzing. Get Down to Play today, the UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. everyone welcome to referees the final whistle podcast with ant martin and nathan and today we are joined by a very special guest he's the author of who are you 92 football clubs he's a writer on a league of their own have i got news for you eight out of ten cats all the stuff that you know and love from television please welcome to the podcast the one the only kevin day hello there happy days yeah, of all, uh, just just when you thought lockdown couldn't get any weirder, I'm doing a podcast with three referees. So. <laughs> it's, it's not something that I'd have predicted this time last year, but I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to talk to anybody about football at the moment. Yeah, it's a sign of the times, isn't it? When all the things are happening, podcasts we have here. I bet you never put that on the list of it happening. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that we we sort of communicated a bit on, on social media was. Um, the colour blindness. That's mm. where um, you seem quite interested in that, and in, in it's something we're interested in because the FA used to check for colour blindness with match officials. Mm. It. I'm not sure why they would they were checking if they were doing it to sort of not allow people with colour blindness in the game or what. But I never seen anything that would help anyone address the problems that people with colour blindness face. So, what's your take on that? Well, you know, it's a really interesting quote because four weeks ago, five weeks ago, if you'd asked me about colour blindness in football, I would have looked at you with a, a blank expression, to be honest, because it's not something people who, that aren't colour blind ever really take seriously. But I do a podcast called Price of Football uh, with Kieran Maguire, who has two things wrong with him. One, he's a Brighton fan. Um, and two, he's he's colour blind. And he mentioned his colour blindness in passing. And I was kind of intrigued by it because I know that he drives, but not intrigued enough to really sort of... But then there was a bit of a furore, the Man United-Liverpool game four or five weeks ago when several people got in touch with us, basically about the financial aspect of, of subscribing to Sky and watching a game that they couldn't tell the teams apart, like the old black and white days of, of glorious memory. Um, and we, we threw this out in the pod saying, is this an issue? And we were astonished by the amount of people that got in touch with us to say that they were colourblind and simply couldn't tell the team. So we started to do a bit of research. We asked broadcasters. We asked. Um, uh, we didn't get an official reply from the PGMOL, uh, but we, we were told um, unofficially that it was the broadcaster's decision. Uh, you know, referees obviously had decisions to make about colour clashes and, and, and so on, but it was entirely out, outside the referee's remit whether the colours clash on, on TV, but broadcasters, and it turns out we've had this confirmed, broadcasters do have an option to say these kits are identical or do they just never exercise it. So we basically, for the, for the next three or four weeks, we we listened to every person of, of who was colourblind about the issue and we've, we've, we've contacted Sky for a, a further response and have had nothing back so far. But I think they're waiting to find out for how, for how many people it is an issue before they decide whether or not to do anything about it. And, but uh, but of course it is an issue because if you if you subscribe to, to Sky Sports or BT Sports, it's very expensive. And I think the least you can expect in this day and age is to be able to watch a game without having. You know, when I was a kid growing up, it was it was you know, it was it was Brian Moore explaining to you that Everton are in the slightly lighter socks if you've got a black and white TV. And that, there's no need for that to happen these days if you're paying up to £100 a month for, for various football media broadcasting. So it, it, our, the initial response from everybody was that we didn't realise this was a problem, but it, it, it is an issue. And, it, and again, it transpired that for, it's an issue for people in the refereeing world as well. So I don't know what happens if a referee is colourblind. It's colourblind. I don't know whether you're tested for colourblindness because, of course, it, it, it would make a difference if you're trying to identify a player that's committed a, a, an offence or whether you're showing the right card. So something that to outsiders seemed like a almost a laughing matter it, we realised it was something quite serious and yet at the same time as I sort of tried to acknowledge to Kieran on the list of on the grain screen of things it wasn't 
the most serious, but you know, I've I've stopped making jokes about it now because I realise it's insensitive. But I'm sure, give it a few weeks, we'll be we'll be back. But it's an issue again. It's amazing how you can be around football for your whole life and it still throws up issues that you you it didn't occur to you were were problems. So it is one of those things that, that do pop up because, like Martin said years ago, and I don't know the timescales of this one, but it was um, it, it got flagged up. Because I remember a period, and I want to say it was around the early noughties, where referees were given a yellow card, which was a rectangle, and the red card, which was a circle. Circle, yeah. So anyone that was colourblind, they could tell the difference between what the referee was holding up, because it was either a square yellow or it was Mm. a circular red. Um, Do do the BBC still offer a TV licence that's just, just black and white? Black and white TV license and a colour TV license. No, they they discontinued that uh, some time ago. Apparently, because um, there was a, obviously a huge discrepancy in the amount, but I think uh, I can't put a date to that. But I understand they discontinued that because it seems like that that would be somewhere that they would that would be the logical place to go is to have a concessionary like well, if, you, if, if, if a blind person doesn't have to pay full whack for the TV license from the BBC, yeah, they shouldn't have to pay full whack for a, a Sky Sports subscription. Well, I think it's. I think it's even easier than that when it comes to colour blindness because all it needs is one of the broadcasters to say to uh, the away team, can you wear white shorts? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure the marketing department of Liverpool would be very unhappy if, I don't know what colour that away green kit is described as, but I'm sure they'd be unhappy if they had to slightly alter it. But it, it it's very rare that one team plays another team that have got identical colours so it's easy, or even even different coloured socks. It's easy enough to remedy. It's not not particularly. I mean, it's one of my big bugbears in football that that teams always wear their away kit, whether the colours clash or not. I mean, it's, it's something that really genuinely annoys me because there's no need for it. Basically, it's just to but sell shirts. Of is course, it, it is. It's absolutely true. But in this in this issue, I I think if there are, and it seems like there could be as many as six hundred thousand people that suffer with colour. If there are that many football fans that that. Are unable to sell teams apart, then wear different. That's all it takes. It's not going to affect the enjoyment of the game for the rest of us, and it probably makes life. And again, because there was an issue, I can't remember which game it was. Recently, it was a Premier League game where at half time there was an issue because the referees. Sure, was yeah, was, it wasn't was a championship. It was was it a championship game? Yeah, yeah it was on Sky at lunchtime, and, yeah. and I remember it was said, and and actually. I, I follow the, uh, the the particular referee on uh, on Instagram, and he put a picture of him in both kits in in both halves, and said, "Look, I, I made a mistake. We we should have come out in this other colour." Um, and it delayed the start of the game, the restart of the game. I think did it? Okay, it's interesting because yeah. I hadn't particularly noticed Nathan until uh, until the commentator pointed it out. Because it's like a lot of games, I kind of they're on in the background, but I'm not really watching them. But I hadn't really noticed there was this clash. Until let's say interesting that the referee came out and admitted that he'd made a mistake, which is I think the um I think that I think one of the managers had said to him, Look, my players are having a bit of difficulty because I think they were wearing a, a navy blue, I think it was I think it was Coventry, they were wearing a navy blue kit. Um, and they obviously had the black on and then they changed to purple tops right. to try and help them with the obviously to manage that. Because I, I think some of them were looking up and seeing the referee and almost nearly passing the ball to him. So the, I, I I did a thing years ago when I was doing match of the day two. I spent the day with Rob Styles, but I can't remember this detail. So at Premier League or Championship level, how many kits is, is a ref actually bringing with him? Is, is he instructed it's four, four yeah. different colours of of shirt and socks? Yeah. So what's the what's the default colour then for a referee that they sh- always, it's always black? It's always, always black, black still. Yeah, yeah that's, see that's really interesting because as a I think if you ask most football fans that question. They wouldn't give black as the answer. Really? Yeah, I think so. I, 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 I would have thought green. I, it's like I, you notice when the referee's wearing black. I always yeah. like it. I think it's great. I referee. think that's probably more of a consequence of television and where we well, are yeah, today. Yeah, possibly now become that perception. I think it's really interesting as well to have somebody like yourself, who's more of a football fan, who actually can give us that because I think as referees, we all would know that it would be black. And then if you can't wear black, you then look to, to what's the next color. But I think it's really interesting that a lot of fans probably do think that black's not our default yeah. color anymore. I, well, yeah, but I mean, that's, that's entirely anecdotal, obviously, but I would have, that, that's certainly my reaction, which is, yeah. I'm, I'm pleased to find out that it, it is black. Yeah. And, it, and actually in the laws of the game, the dreaded laws of the game, it actually says, you know, the, the default is black in it below a certain level. Everyone has black. 
But what does happen as well, Kev, is that referees have a preferred colour themselves. There's loads out there, particularly the ones you love a sunbed or two. <laughs> I tell you what, though, those neon yellow tops really do bring out a suntan. If you're wearing one and you've and it's the middle of summer, you want to show it off. Yellow kits. Some of them say they're making me look thinner. Some you know, there is genuine, genuine people who would who would say, hmm. And then you see goalkeepers exactly the same as a referee. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't come off with you know that he won't come down the other end and funny it's funny you mention that though about the kits because I'm a Newcastle fan and I remember on one of the rare sunny days that we do have in the northeast there was uh, the neon kits they actually the, the referees changed them at half time because uh, two of the three officials on the pitch had been stung by bees <laughs> during the first half the game so they changed at half time because they were attracting too many like bees so they had to change the colour <laughs> you know, with, with, with all due respect to, to three referees this is exactly the sort of conversation that football fans need to hear because the more referees are humanised to football fans the better it is because I mean I I didn't know I mean football fans need to know that officials are being stung by bees at, at St James <laughs> yeah they'd love it <laughs> I mean, just, just for the just for the mean purposes alone, you just for social media. I mean, but this is exactly the sort of thing that I, I've always argued there should be. Uh, I, I, I understand why referees don't explain mistakes after games. I fully do, but I've always argued that it should be referees should be more accessible to fans because fans need to know that referees are fans as well. That, well, this so, is something yeah. that we've chatted about on, on other episodes of the podcast is the way that almost, it, it, I'm speaking from an English perspective, obviously this podcast goes out around the world, but it, it feels like the FA are trying to breed in a robot referee, one that doesn't have a personality to manage the players in the way that perhaps your Graham Pohl did back in the day or Rob Styles, as you mentioned. Um, th- there's bags of personality in that e- early era of the Premier League that seems now today to have just been trained out of everyone uh, to keep everyone in line. And, and Because the argument is we want consistency. Well, with personality, you'd get so much inconsistency because the personalities go all over the place. Well, it's that same argument I always have when when footballers say you want you want common sense and you want consistency, but the two are mutually exclusive. You can't yeah. have common sense and consistency. You either apply the laws of the game the same way every time, or you don't. But now you've mentioned the the, the GP word. I'm not sure whether this is the right place or the wrong place to to admit that I'm old friends with Graham Pohl. Ooh, I've, 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 I've known Graham a long time. Uh, and I, I've learned a lot, a lot of my attitude to referees. See, it, it, I, I kind of wish I hadn't met any referees. I've met quite a few. I kind of wish I hadn't met, especially I David. I think Ellis. you're killing a stereotype here, Kevin. I think you're killing a stereotype because many what? people think referees don't have any friends. <laughs> you know, can we take this? Is there any chance we can edit this bit out? <laughs> I don't want this going all around the world. But I, I did, I did a podcast years ago. Uh, I did a podcast for the Championship Manager and Mark is myself, Mark Chapman, Graham Pohl and a guy called Roy from the company. And it was a very successful podcast. And Graham was fascinated because Graham's, a, he won't mind me saying, he's got a sense of humour of a nine-year-old boy for a start. <laughs> in, the, in the pub we used to go to afterwards, you, you could have pints or you could have jugs. Which is, and basically the woman who ran the pub used to say, would you like jug? And he would just piss himself laughing every time she said jugs. Well, we had a German journalist on the podcast once called Helmut Koch, and I thought Graham, was, <laughs> I thought Graham was going to explode. I used to like, but it's just the most. You're talking to a man who's refereed the best players in the world, and if you like football, how can you not want the insight of somebody who's refereed the best players? And also, you learn two things. You learn that referees are as obsessed with football as, as we are. They're massive football fans, and also it turned out that nine times out of ten, to my fury, if there was a controversial refereeing decision we discussed. He was normally right. Who would have thought that? <laughs> that he, he knew more about the laws of the game than the, the pub referee here. But it's, 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 it, it did change my my perception of referees a little bit. Knowing knowing Graham and and getting that inside. So he, he was like he would talk about how to referee Ronaldo, for example. It's like the first time somebody kind of fouled Ronaldo, you'd give him a free kick because that 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 gave you fifteen minutes of of, of grace of it. It's like and different players. It's, it's really interesting to. To hear this, and I, I do think it would help if if referees, as as Martin said, could be could be humanised a little bit. And it, and if you're saying as, as well, if you're if you're if referees are being trained to be to be robots, that's not 
that's not a good thing on and off the pitch, surely. Well, I'm with you on this, and I, my uh, my angle on this is a little bit darker, really, Ken. And I said for a long time, one of the reasons I want to start a charity up with no funding from the FA is because the referee association get part funded by the FA, mm. the PMOL, so they're not very vocal on, on social media criticizing them, which sometimes the FA will just ignore emails of complaints. And when you go on social media and the, and the media pick up, lo and behold, we get answers to our emails. Yeah. What I've always said, Kev, is I don't know an organisation other than the mafia who make money out of violence. Against <laughs> and, no. and, and, and when you get like, you know, a referee's getting abused or threatened, well, they'll find that player, rightly so. Yeah. He gets no benevolence. They keep the money. The FA keep the money. And I've always thought, you know, and, and someone can prove me wrong on this, but no one, no one has so far, Kev. It's not within the FA's interests for a player to get on with a referee. If the referee is creating an income stream for that particular county FA or the FA, it just doesn't make business sense. Well, that's it's, that's a cynical point of view, and I'm, I talk as somebody who's very cynical about football. But that's, I, I mean, that's very interesting, I'm, and I'm surprised to learn that referees don't get that level of support because I mean the one thing we all know is it's I mean I remember playing Sunday football and you, you, even then you'd think who would be a referee at that level and it's it's but it's really interesting when you hear it's, it's the mantra of older players isn't it oh, you can't talk to referees these days and you kind of think you should be able to talk to a referee but it, it's the thing about referees responding like Mark, Mark Clattenberg and I know you had Mark on this pod recently every every I, I, I was on I was hosting TalkSport uh, a couple of years back um when Andy Jacobs wasn't well, so I hosted the afternoon show with Paul Hawksby and and, and John Moss was 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 a guest. John Moss was on with Mike Riley, and, and again, I wish I hadn't met them because they're both perfectly charming, nice people. And John smiled when I said, "You hate Palace, didn't you?" And <laughs> every ref, but the, the, every Palace fan listening to this will know that Mark Clattenberg will get get mentioned because he's one of those referees that we, Mark Clattenberg always got it wrong against Palace we thought he just it was always one of those things we can't win today Clattenberg's a ref and then two years ago he did a, he made a, a an interview and it was really interesting he was asked a question um, are there any fans that you think really dislike and he said Palace fans really dislike and he said to be honest I think I've given them reason to do so and he talked about one particular incident, which was the FA Cup final 2016, when he he and he admitted, he said, I made a mistake. I didn't sleep for two nights. When Connor Wickham was clean through, he was onside, Smalling fouled him, he broke the foul, he was one on one with the keeper, and Clattenburg blew and brought it back for the for the free kick. And my estimation of Mark Clattenburg went up immensely when I read that he'd made a mistake, that he'd acknowledged that Palace fans were right to be annoyed with him. And if he'd said that at the time, if he'd said that two hours after the cup final, we'd have still been annoyed, but we would have gone, yeah, of course, he made a mistake. We know he made a mistake. There's not one, not one part of us thought he did that deliberately. But of course you do, because you live on it. And and but for, I'm really I'm quite annoyed about the fact that lack of support, because for, for, mo- for most football fans, referees are panto, they're pantomime villains. We know that. And we know, and it's been proved in the, in the pandemic, you know, this this idea that football can't exist without fans. Unfortunately, it can. If football had to go on without fans, it would for 5, 10, 15 years. It can't exist without players and it can't exist without officials. And most football fans know that. They absolutely know that. Because otherwise, games would be like they were when you were nine years old and you, you disallow every goal because it didn't hit the right part of the wall. So we know that you have to have officials. But most football fans, they're pantomime villains. We still... I don't like goal line technology because it would... We still talk about Dermot Gallagher and a disallowing a goal about 20 years ago against Leeds in a cup game. And it's three foot over the line. Dermot Gallagher said it didn't cross the line. We're still moaning about that now. Right? Goal line technology robs us of that. That, that, that <laughs> but we all know, all sensible fans know that referees are just pantomime villains. We know that. But there are an element who think they are evil, who think they are right for abuse. And I can't believe that the FA don't give them more support than they're actually getting, especially from, from players. That's, that's you know, that, that's, that's astonished me. I mean, you know, with the, we know that they're professional these days. I'm, I'm surprised that they haven't got that level of support. Yeah, the, the, a lot of people are shocked when we say that. When you when we, when I frame it, everyone I've talked to, journalists and professionals like yourself, would always say, what? Well, like, you know, they always say, oh, referee, you, you earned your £20 for the FA and you, you know, buy the yellow cars and the red cars. And you know, I, I only got into refereeing because I was banned so many times. From, uh, <laughs> I was so violent on the pitch when I moved from Liverpool to Somerset. 
just it, it didn't equate to me that you know normal people don't fight at every turn. And I I got I was many times I got sent off and, and my missus was saying, God, have you got a pain with a 25 quid? Another <laughs> and then and when I look at it now and you, you see the income streams that, that must generate, and we did a bit of a poll on how many courses to do, you know, per game referees and about one and a half. You add all that up and all the money. And then you see when Jose Mourinho gets fined, there's mm. you know 20 grand here, 30 grand there. No one really asks where that goes. No one says, does that gets that get on supporting referees, or does that get on you know nice bottles of wine with England play at Wembley? You know, it's this sort of forensicness that I think when people realise that we are we are lovers of football. Yeah, of course. Uh, really, but you know, we couldn't play. We we got where we did. A lot of us at pro level because you know we were actually all right at referee, not very good at playing. We love the game any less than anybody else. I'm gonna I'm gonna raise that issue of where the money goes on on price of football, because Kieran will will find out because that's, I mean if you're talking about that level of money going into fines, we need to find out where that money's going. Well, none of it goes. There's no benevolence. There's no benevolence at um, the referees. Even even the insurance that county FAs often, like they say, sign up, register. Until three months ago, when I flashed this up, I looked into it. They're not even insured for getting assaulted. If you get beat up. The insurance the county of A offer doesn't cover you for assault only accidents. So if you're if, if if a referee and again, please don't tell people that I'm being serious about referees' concerns here. Would you? But <laughs> if a referee's you know, one of my local teams is Peckham Town in the I can't remember London Senior League or whatever. So if a referee at that level is subject to abuse or assault, you know, and in one particular game or by one particular player, who do they turn to then for help afterwards when they're upset? Or, or annoyed or frustrated, who do they turn to for help about that anger or annoyance or frustration? The referees. Well, some, some of them might be a member of the referee association. Right. But, but that's a very small group of people. There's only about 2,000 active referees who are in the referee association, and there's 30,000 referees. The majority of what we want to turn to, which is why we want to start a charity to offer it to everyone free. Hmm. Like we even go to healings all over the country and don't charge money represent them but they'll turn to the county FA but like loads of different types of mental health um, challenges you're not going to go to the people who promote you to say oh I don't feel wrong uh, okay. you're never going to go to the FA because you want to get your cup finals you want to get your promotion you want to get those like local derbies that everyone wants at grassroots level right up to the top the referees haven't really got anyone to turn to which is why we feel you know we, we really changed the game I know it's self-promoting it because people come to us and say, look, I can tell you stuff and I don't feel it's going to be held against me. But as with county FAs, a lot of them feel as if some of them don't support them enough. Not all of them. It'd be, it'd be unfair to say all of them are poor. But there's, we're seeing an awful lot of them that don't really support referees in, in the way they should. Really, really a lot. Honestly, it's a, it's I'm, a, gen- I'm, I'm genuinely surprised to hear that and, and also quite alarmed to hear that you say that there's a perception that referees think it's a sign of weakness if they if they turn to somebody for help and advice and because I always I always assume that referees would be at the very least mentored through through every level and and clearly not. No, no. Actually, part of the criteria when you take the courses, you'll say uh, you'll be offered a, a, a mentor for your first five games. Now, at first, I thought that was great, and then I looked at the language, and it said offered, it offered. Uh, yeah, okay. so, yeah, we offer everyone. But then the mentors you've got available might say, well, not available. And when we've looked at it, all the new referees of, of any age, Kev, you know, people who were starting at 35, got mm. a bad name, football, and decided to referee, they're not getting they're not getting the mentoring just to, uh, to think things like dealing with difficult conversations. You know, how do you react when someone calls you a swat? And you're not used to that because you're an accountant and you're working in an yeah, office. Yeah, of course. It's all those acclimatizations to football that just isn't addressed in a basic referees course and that's why we think people like Graham Paul who's got character yeah. being done it he's got a lot to offer back to people but because they have fallouts with the FA whatever they don't seem to give back and that's, that's their, own, their own opinion isn't it? Can, I, can I inject a bit of levity into calling the referee a twat here just because uh, it, it's a story I was going to tell you anyways um, I'm a, a trustee of the Crystal Palace Foundation and two years ago we started a, a South London mental health football league midweek league for young men, a lot of whom are refugees, but for young men who are suffering from mental health issues. And and football, as we know, football's a brilliant way of bringing people from different communities together. And 
Uh, and it was great. So there were six or seven teams. There was a Palace team, a Charlton team, a Bromley team. And, and a, a mate of mine who suffers from depression was made captain of the, the Palace mental health team. And I said to him, are you sure, are you sure this is a good idea? Because you, you know, you've got a really bad temper. Out, out with his depression, he, he, he had a really bad temper. He had a really short fuse. Sounds like you when you moved to Somerset. Yeah. Uh, and and sure enough, in in the f- five minutes into the first game, uh, this bloke went through him, and the referee didn't give a free kick away, and he, he went absolutely he called him all sorts of f's and c's and twats, and and, pro- and the ref just stepped back, gave him a straight red, deservedly. And my mate, thinking on his feet, went, "Oh, sorry, mate, um, Tourette's. That's my mental health. That's why I play for this team." <laughs> and the ref and the ref went. Oh right, fine, okay, and 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 didn't give him a red card, and then but the trouble is, my mate then had to swear at the ref for the, for the, for the rest of the game. But I often thought, it, and it's it's not funny, really. It's fun, but I often I often thought it would make the best you are the ref question ever. Yeah. If if halfway through the second half somebody said to him, mate, he hasn't got Tourette's, what does the ref do? Does he then go back and 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 yellow carded for lying or give him the red card retrospectively? But it's one of those things where you go, I, I really couldn't be a referee business, but but it I mean the level of so that mental thing, oh, I'm I'm struggling to come to terms with that. So even at the highest level, then you know when when people it's a criticism people often throw at referees. I'm sorry, I know you're meant to be asking me questions here, but uh, is a criticism people often throw at referees that they're they're refereeing for the assessor mm. rather than the, they're not refereeing the game. They're, which you kind of think, well, of course they're refereeing to the assessor because he's probably the only one in the ground who knows the laws. That's something else we'll come on to the, the way that people in football don't know the laws of the game. But is so. At what level then does that assessment kick in? At what level are you, are you being assessed? Well, it's such a great question, Ev. And um, it's great that you've developed this way. You're asking those questions too, because you can take a box when you're registered as a referee at lower level and say, I don't want to be considered for promotion. Well, there might be those guys that were coming back from, you know, from injury, you want to give some of the back to the game, who are vital to the refereeing. And, and they will never get assessed, never get assessed. They just take a box and never have a. And we've always said, you know, there should be some way of every referee gets looked at every year yeah. to make sure that they're up to speed in modern practices and stuff like that. But right up until conference, I always call it for conference, National League Premier. Below them, you don't get refereed every game. Above them, so like from the National League Premier and above, you will get assessed every game, observed. So what you, what you find is, when I worked at the FA, I, I kept an eye on how many referees and what the cautions compared to an assessor is there, to an assessor isn't. And you are many, many, many times more likely to pick up a yellow card when an assessor's there. Really? And what we've and the FA, you know, Barry, the FA denied it, but I've got the evidence, you can challenge me on it. And and I know for a fact, and and, and, and people blame the assessor. They say, oh, it's your fault. But it's not, it's the referee's fault. The referee should act the same when an assessor's there or not. That creates consistency. But then the problem then, Kev, is, is club marks, referees, because club marks are a part of the promotion, when the assessor isn't there, they'll, they think, oh, if I don't book him, if I need bollock him for calling me a twat, they'll give me a better club mark. Uh... You've got to hold it together and say, well, actually, no, that's shit. We want to know what a yellow card is there, whether there's an assessor there or not. It's that level of consistency where when there's no assessor there, referees under-referee, and when there is an assessor there, the old referee, right. this gap becomes bigger and no one's happy with it. So you're right, people do pander to it. But as you climb the ladders, that argument isn't there because in this, there's an assessor every single game in the National League Premier and above. So it shouldn't be a problem. So there's two, there's almost two worlds in that front, Kev, to be honest. That's really interesting. If I can just take it back, I think, to what you were saying before, I mean, a lot of the work that I do is around mental health, resilience and mental well-being, particularly yeah. with match officials. And and I just want to say at this point as well, obviously, you talk about being a trustee of the, of the Crystal Palace Foundation. Uh, my business, the third team, is a, um, is a be a game changer uh, business champion, which is Newcastle United Foundation's men's mental health. Brilliant. Um, sort of. Thing that, and I, I always say that wherever you are around the country, if you can get involved with your local foundation, there's always going to be provision for mental health Definitely. within 
within that and, and so I'm greatly supportive of all the foundations of, of all the football clubs because I think they provide vital resources but but one of the things I've really noticed is the fact that when I deliver workshops to county level officials across the country um, you know I'm right down to Cornwall up to Northumberland and Cumbria and Kent and places like that I um, I always get probably four or five individual referees who'll come to me and, and talk to me specifically about challenges they face. And and I feel really that the, the, the honest reason for that is because I think a lot of them don't trust their referee development officer or referee development manager with that, knowing that that is the person who, not solely, but will mm-hmm. form a big part of who's going to appoint county cup games, who's going to decide promotions and all sorts of things like that. And I think that, that's it's quite telling I mean look I, I love what I do and I love being able to support them and I'm deeply passionate about mental health and well-being and, and helping referees to to handle a lot of the challenges particularly when we talk about dissent from club officials and players but but I have to say I, I really do feel that you know just leading on from what what Martin said there in particular about not wanting certain people to know because it might prejudice things mm. I think it is a real issue and a real challenge within within the game well, also, it's something as those of us outside the referee world wouldn't... Uh, it's the opposite of what I was expecting you to tell me, to be perfectly honest. So um, I'm slightly taken aback about that. And, uh, I mean, the dissent thing is really interesting because fans fans are never... I, I try not, because I'm, I'm a middle-aged man now, so it, it's not a good look with me shouting at people on the pitch anyway. And I'm not... I'm, not a, I'm, I'm a nervous watcher anyway. But there are occasions when you do... There's no option of it to say, how oh, was that a penalty you... Yeah, blah blah. blah. Not, you wouldn't dream of saying it to his face, yeah. but it, but it's really interesting from the players' point of view. It's a debate we have on the Palace podcast. We do. It's like we've got a Palace team now that, to us, seem particularly quiet. Whereas we had players before, like Milo Jednak and and Damien Delaney, who if if they saw an injustice on the pit, if they saw Wilf getting fouled, for example, because again, don't start me on Wilf Sahar and and refereeing. But if they saw an injustice, they would be they'd be in the referee's face all the time. And and there are some fans that actively encourage that whereas we've got a team now that is particularly quiet and you notice it even more when there are no fans in the ground we've got a team that don't get in in the referee's face and it's I think it's really interesting that even even now we have that debate about whether or not players should be showing dissent because of course they shouldn't they're full stop they shouldn't be showing dissent I mean, I, having said that I, one of the reasons I don't like rugby is I can't stand that arms behind the back yes sir no sir public school stuff I think players should be able to say they should be able to query decisions but not in a in a visibly a middle ground, absolutely. But I, I think it's really interesting that fans still now fans think even more so since referees are professional, and fans think they're getting a lot of money if they can't if they can't stand there and be shouted at, then maybe they're in the wrong job. But uh, and but of course, if you then said, well, if you go in the pub afterwards, and it takes you five minutes to get served, you're not sta- you're not standing there shouting, "Where's my drink? You cheat, you know?" And they kind of go, "Oh yeah, yeah," but they're yeah. The, the, Bloke behind the bars only getting ten quid an hour or whatever. Well, I th- see, I think I think Kevin, it's it's still that they're earning, but they're still earning a fraction of the players. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And what the fans are not doing, and I'm not that I would encourage this at all, is absolutely lambasting their players for missing a penalty. For example, last yeah. last week we had obviously uh, West Bromwich Albion against Brighton. At, Lee Mason's my new hero. Yeah, but the thing is, obviously Lee was lambasted terribly um, in, in a game in which actually yeah. he actually pushed himself through with a calf injury because after the incident that had happened in the first half, he probably felt he couldn't come off. Yeah, which is a, a sad state of affairs yeah. in itself. And I think that you then look at the the situation that Brighton had, where Lewis Dunk's coming out, you know, really. Being, being helped by, uh, I think it was Jeff Shreves from Sky, yeah, yeah. being helped to, to criticise the referees, almost asking leading questions that encourage him to lambast the referee. And yet, maybe 10 seconds, 12 seconds, 15 seconds max is about the two penalties that, that they yeah. missed and, yeah. and yeah. the open goal that they missed from six yards as well. well I, I think you make a really good point there because I, I, Sky without a doubt, didn't cover themselves in glory. If if Palace are not playing on the Saturday afternoon, I, I like watching the scores come in. I, I find that relaxing. and I'd rather do that than, than watch a game. But uh, Jeff Stelling, who I admire as a broadcaster, was, I thought, out of order. And for three separate times he came back to it. Even in the second half, he came back to it 
and said, okay, show, show us that again, show us because Paul Merson was kind of amused as we all were. But there was no attempt to unpack what had happened or 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 potentially discover what Lee Mason could. It was just like there's right it's much better TV that a referee's made a mistake. But do you right? notice something, Kev? Do you notice that Sky Sports don't have a referee pundit, so to speak, I, BT and Amazon I, do? I, I think that's I think that's really interesting because because that, that would have it wouldn't have shut down the conversation. But if they could have gone to a referee and said, "Well, what's happened there?" and and this whole confusion about well, had the ball crossed the line before he blew his whistle? And it's like I'm kind of half thinking I think I know that that law. I think I've heard it. but all it needed was a referee. They and it would be very easy for them to phone up a referee or get a referee on. But instead, the narrative for them was much better that they carry on with Jeff yeah. with Jeff Selly being. And as you say, Palace fans don't like Lewis Dunk. Long story. We don't like Brian. Full stop. But yeah. as you say, he was given space and time to basically grasp the referee up. In a sense. And then they kept showing the goal that Brighton scored against Liverpool, where the ref had let him yeah. take the free kick quickly. And then, but again, Scott, see, this is, it comes back to something I mentioned before. It re- I, I, I think uh, Chris, Chris Kamara, I think, is, is a, one of the loveliest blokes you can meet. And he's a brilliant broadcaster. He doesn't know the laws of the game. He doesn't understand offside. He doesn't get it. And so, and he's never challenged when he goes, oh, he, was, he wasn't offside because of this. And he goes, well, he was. But they don't come back to him afterwards and say, actually, Chris, you got that wrong. The, when Fulham had the goal disallowed against Tottenham, the, the one that hit yeah. his, it was t- terrible decision. Ter- but the right decision. It's an absolutely shocking decision. There's, not, there's nobody in football who thinks the game is better because that goal which was disallowed. Which is why they've changed it for next which is Which is why, again, well, that's another issue. I don't like rules, laws being changed. But again, again on Sky, there's no one saying, well, actually, hang on, the ref had no choice. That's the that's the law. It, it's, Scott Parker, to his enormous credit, when he's being challenged afterwards, going, you must be furious. He went, no, because it's a stupid law, but it's not. I'm not going to blame the referee for that. But mm. that didn't stop the rest of Sky from blaming the referee for that decision when it's clearly not his decision that's it's, he made the right decision it's just a, a it was all that I, I that really annoyed me that Scott and it, it's interesting that on the highlights on BBC of course they they showed it on match of the day they had no choice but to show it but it was far less of an issue it was just the referee made a mistake I wonder why he made that mistake that must have been frustrating for the players move on yeah but even so the broadcasters that do have these referees on the fallout from having a referee on to explain things on social media is the majority of the fans that then talk about it go, oh, it's pointless listening to that referee anyway. Of course, they're going to close ranks. Of course, they're going to defend the referee's decision. But what it actually is, is the the players don't want to have that decision explained. They want someone to explain the laws of the game for them because they can't be bothered going and, and reading them for themselves. Yeah, um, and why should it's astonishing how the the reason pundits don't know the laws of the game is because they're ex players, mm-hmm. and why did players ever? Why would they ever need to know the laws of the game? You know, some of the more you, you talk to Gary Lineker, he will tell you the offside law completely because he he lived by it. He, he knows how to get offside decisions. But and the the fact is, the, the problem for referees, of course, is that people like me. Yeah, I referee the odd uh, comedian's charity match, so I, th- I think I'm a fully qualified pub ref. It's as simple as that. Every football fan thinks they know the laws of the game. And when you go back to a pub after a game when, it, when there's been a, a particularly bad decision and you watch it and one of your mates will go, well, actually, that technically that, that probably should have been a goal. And everyone goes, shut up, what's the matter with you? Of course it should have been a goal. And then one of your mates will go, well, if it, if it had been the other way around, you'd have wanted it to be disallowed. And you go, yeah, of course, because it wouldn't have been a goal if the other team scored it. It's it's like Wilf. It's the whole debate about does Wilf Zahar dive? As far as I'm concerned, no Palace player ever in the history of football has ever dived <laughs> of ever. Of course, they might. Andy Johnson might have occasionally maximised a falling potential. <laughs> he may have. He may have taken. You know, Andy Johnson had a very low sense of gravity, so occasionally, of course, he's going to go down. But you know, I don't think Palace. And it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a crazy thing because, like you say, people think that they could do as good a job as the referee they Always. see on the telly. It's the, it's the equivalent of going, see that Michelin star chef? I can cook just as good as him. I knocked together some beans and toast this morning. You know, I mean, that that's the sort of equivalence that we've got going on. But it, well, it is. It's almost the same. But the thing is that when it comes to to sport, we do think we can do. And it's like we 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 watched Christian Benteke. I mean, God love him. He scored last night, and he, <laughs> tends, he 
bless him, he always scores in a losing cause for the most part, although he's bought himself two years after that. Yeah, I was going to say, he must be flavour of the month right now. Oh, well, although the best bit of that was Roy Hodgson implying that the game plan was to hang on for 96 minutes and score with 15 seconds of the game to go. It's like, yeah, Roy, we don't quite believe that. But every but when Ben, yeah, when when a player misses a chance, we all go, I would have scored that. And it's like, no, you wouldn't. You would have been you would have been doubled up breathless on the halfway line. Just where you've been. But, but we all think we can refer, we all think we know the, the the law. And that's the trouble is that's underlined a lot by the fact that most of the pundits don't know the the laws of the game either. And then of course you get players debating this whole thing that should you go down for a penalty? The players, Ian Wright will say, well, you've got to go down in the box, otherwise the referee doesn't know you've been fouled. Gary Lineker will say, if a goalkeeper feels you know, if you feel a touch from the keeper, you go down. So players blur the line between between cheating and not cheating all the time, which makes the referee's job all the more difficult. Of course it does. Of course it does. I'd be interested to know where you stand on that because it's a, as as a non-footballer and non-referee that that this idea that a player could be too honest. Oh, he's too honest. He should have gone down there. You think surely at the highest level the referee knows has been a has been a touch. Well, if I'm not mistaken, and I have to be honest, I was only half watching it. But in Crystal Palace last night, was Gary Cahill not booked for attacking on the edge of the box where the player had dived, dare I say? Of course, yeah. Everybody who plays against Palace dives. We know that. It's taken as... again. But then again, that's a problem because there is that... But what I'm saying is the movement, and and forgive me, was it Stuart Atwell that was refereeing the game last night? I think from Stuart's position, the Tottenham player has made such a an action that he's actually being deceived and he's yeah. an honest guy who's looking to detect foul challenges across the pitch as he's moving and he's seen a movement that looks like because players have not I, I don't think they would be working on it in training but for sure they know what muscle movements and all sorts of things to make to right. replicate contact and things like that and, and I think he got that wrong and I looked at it and I thought oh he's got that wrong when I saw the reverse angle replay but then I thought but actually I think it was Mora, Lucas Mora. I'm thinking, but Mora's actually made the movement that he would if he had been tackled, and yeah. and now Cahill's booked, and they've got a free kick in a dangerous position. Yeah, I I think it's a problem that's evolved without us even knowing how much of a, of a bigger problem it is. And when people say dive, and they just think, oh, he's going down in a box for a penalty, yeah. but it's almost all over the pitch. And yeah. and I went on records when um, Mike Dean got those death threats. Yeah. Those death threats were purely from the results of a man pretending to be hurt in the face. Yeah. Right? Now, now what happens is none of the players come out and have a goal each other. And I think we all own this problem. I think referees own the problem to try and get a better angle on it. But I think players need to own a problem because when they're a victim of getting cons by simulation, they're, they're, they're absolutely up in arms. But when they gain from it, no one says a word. I think football needs to own that problem, I think, Kev. The, the, the problem is there, Mark, as well, that footballers won't come out and condemn it publicly because they condone it privately. Yeah. Because I've spoken to a lot of players who will say, you'll say, to, I've said this to Gary Lineker a lot, because like, I'm fascinated by it. I love talking to people inside the game. But, you know. So I say, if, like, so if you go down and you you think there's 50-50 contact, does, does any, there's a player... Say to you, come on, Gary, you're better than that. You go, no. Player will say to me, thanks. We won the game. Mm-hmm. Players are not players are not worried about whether they, they've conned the. They, like you said, they're worried if they get conned, but the players worry. If you don't shake their hand, they're furious at the end of the game. If you spit, they're furious. But for the most part, they're not fussed about what we call cheating and diving because they've they've got trophies to win. They've got points to win. They've got they've got bonuses to get. They they take a far more practical approach to this than than we do. And if the odd referee gets gets taken for a ride, so be it. Is is their view? I think it's and so they never. Yeah, managers will never publicly condemn one of their players, and I don't think they'll privately do it. We all know, you know, Paolo Di Canio is 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 legendary act of sportsmanship against Everton. I think it was. Yeah, he caught the ball. Yeah. But, but Harry Redknapp recently, for the first time, has admitted that he absolutely tore strips off him afterwards. Totally bollocked him. He said, "Score the goal and then help him up." Yeah. You know, so it's like we expect these standards of, of behaviour from footballers that we shouldn't expect, really, and that's 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 the other problem for for referees as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, it's double, double standards, absolute double standards that referees are expected yeah. to be perfect in everything they see, do, every action they take has to be a hundred percent correct. 
But the players can miss open goals, they can dive, they can cheat. Of course. And the thing is, referees should be judged on the same level that the players are judged. So Mm. a player will miss an open goal, a referee will get conned and give a penalty for a player that's dived. There should be the same acceptance of... And the players won a penalty and they're up high-fiving each other because they're potentially going to score a goal now. Um, but all of the, obviously, the fans on the other side, instead of having a go with the player going, you're a twat, you shouldn't be diving, you're ruining the game, it's the referee that's ruining the game for not being able to see these micro-contacts. Well, well that's, I, I do think, I think the good part of that, is I do genuinely think that 90% of, of fans, once they've calmed down, realise that. 90% of fans realise that yes, occasionally a referee will make a mistake. That's the one. The, the first step towards acceptance is realizing that the referees aren't deliberately. It's like John Moss said. Look, you know, you you think every football fan I talk to thinks I hate their team the most, right? And he said probably if you analyze games that I've refereed, I will have made mistakes against. You know, as it happened, John Moss gave a, a penalty against us for Man City that we we missed on New Year's Day. And it probably shouldn't have been a penalty. So that sort of took the rug from under my feet a little bit. But what it, the thing is, as soon as you think the referee's made a mistake, it's not deliberate, that's fine. And that, that's when you get this idea that uh, let's move on from that. Because anybody, and there are still people who go, the, the referee, how did they, people forget that referees have gone through 20 odd years of training to become a, a professional referee? They've not just been picked off the street corner. These people are, are good at what they do. You don't get to referee a Premier League game or officiate a Premier League game without being considered a proper top club, the best at your decision. So, you know, anybody who was making decisions deliberately, they would have been weeded out, I presume, you know. And it's I once, Graham Poles, <laughs> I, 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 I don't like telling this story because Graham Pole wins in it, basically. Because <laughs> I, I, I was talking to Graham once and I said, look, tell, be honest, if you're, if you're refereeing at Old Trafford, this was back in the Fergie days, I said, if you're refereeing at Old Trafford, uh, and, and United are playing Palace, and there's a, a free kick on the halfway line, 50-50. I said, subconsciously, go on, you give it to United. And he went, I don't know what my subconscious tells me to do. That's the whole point of the subconscious. So yeah. I went, all right, fair enough, you've got a point there. Yeah. He did go on to elaborate that if you're at Old Trafford in front of 70,000 people and you can see Fergie's angry red screaming face and it's nil-nil in a meaningless end-of-season game, he said, yeah, occasionally it might have to be... 51%, 49% for me to give a foul to Palace. Occasionally, he said, just because I'm the one who gets bollocked by by Fergie at the end of it. He said, but I'm not deliberately not giving a foul against Palace. It's just like I might give Man United the benefit of the doubt. And it's like, brilliant. I'm really pleased that you say that because that means you should be said, but otherwise, I'm refereeing the game to the best of my ability. And if I make a mistake, I'll make a mistake. But there's no way on God's earth any referees deliberately going, actually, that player called me a twat two years ago, I'm not giving that free kick or I'm giving that penalty. It just doesn't happen. And once once a football fan realises that, it makes it makes football a lot easier because it, it means you can park the referee and just go, fine, okay, we'll... we'll you know, and we do love talking about mistakes. Like I say, we still go on about Dermot Gallagher's mistake now because that's part of the part of the game. We love to feel that we've been robbed by an outside force and not beaten by a better team. But most of us realise, that's why I used the phrase pantomime villain at the start, because for most of us, and I think I think most referees, yourselves included, would probably accept that there's an element of the pantomime villain in your... Oh, yeah. There's you know, things that we've heard a million yeah. times before said well, well, of course, what you'd see, the other, you know, the other one that really annoys me on many levels is, is Neil Warnock, right? Because Neil Warnock's a qualified referee. Of all the people who shouldn't publicly... And get how much does wow. Sky... Like, the, the, the game Middlesbrough... Were they away at Cardiff? No, Swansea. Were at Swansea on Saturday when a bit of controversy, penalty in the, in the 96th minute, goal disallowed uh, for the... Uh, and, and of all people, Neil Warnock should know better. But of course, Sky are all over it because Sky, they just leave the cameras running. like So they're, they're doing the scores underneath because they know that he's going to be confronting the referee. So I just think, Kevin, that basically it's one of them. Um, when my dad was 18, okay, he, he was a forklift truck driver for a summer. Now, he's not going to go into Amazon's warehouse and say, you're not driving a forklift truck properly because he's been a <laughs> professional for the last 30 years. <laughs> and it's the same thing with Neil, you know, he yeah. took the referees course in the seventies or eighties, but, uh, okay. you know, and I just think that that's, that's the reality of it, you know? And I, and I think that I just, I just think that unfortunately we're in a position now where like, you, like I said before, I feel that 
the, they've boxed a bit clever there in terms of the correspondent who's interviewing him. They know that they can ask leading questions that yeah. are going to provoke a reaction yeah. because yeah. Neil Warnock's fair game for that. And I think that that's yeah. what they've... That's Don't forget, it's not, it's not Sky's job to present football in the best light possible. It's Sky's no, job true. to get as many eyeballs on yeah, their media as, as possible for ad revenue. So if they've got a, a, a viral clip of Neil Warnock slagging yeah. referees, everyone hates referees, yeah, yeah. more people will watch it when it gets uploaded to Facebook and Twitter and get more engagement from the comments of everyone. But I think you, you, you nailed it when you said that when everyone's calmed down, 90% of the people after the game will be like, okay, fine. Is human. Referees made a mistake. Uh, player missed a goal. Defender yeah. conceded penalty. All that sort of stuff, and it's kind of accepted. It's the the very vocal ten percent that have this platform on social media, mm-hmm. um, and and they just gather pace, and an incident will happen. And I've I've done it myself. I've 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 ended up sinking three or four hours debating people. And and it's and as I mentioned before, it's not closing ranks. It's as a referee, I've seen why that official has given it because from practical experience, I've been there myself, and I'll have given something similar or not given it because there's arguments both ways. So no one's ever saying the referee's got it spot on. Everyone else needs to shut up. What the ref is saying, it kind of backing up the referee that's kind of given a decision on the field is, I understand why that's being given. Here is why. So uh, see, I d- I don't see why you shouldn't close ranks. Really, because I close ranks with other Palace fans. If if there's if there's something controversial that a Palace player does or a Palace management does, if I'm asked to go on talks, I will defend the indefensible as far as I'm concerned. I won't. I'll, I'll criticise Palace on a Palace podcast or in the pub with my mates, but I won't. I won't do it publicly. I won't hear a word said against Palace. As simple as that. So I I wouldn't blame referees for saying. You know, in private, when I'm not here, I wouldn't blame you for going, Mark, Jesus, Lee Mason, what was he doing? But of course, when I'm here, you explain why Lee Mason made that decision or Stuart Atwell made it, and and rightly so. So you should, because if you can't if you can't defend each other, I mean, it's one of the things I remember Rob Stiles saying, and they, they gave me brilliant access to Rob Stiles and his, uh, his team of officials. And it was a game at Sellers Park, funny enough, so it would have been 2005, 2006, um, and it was one of the things that I was most, I was astonished by how much he was the king of his his, his little domain. Like basically, if he told the assistant referees to to jump, and they, they were bringing him tea and coffee. But there was one bit at the end, um, uh, like five minutes after the final whistle, and he stayed on the pitch to talk to me. And he said, look, I can't stop long. I've got to go and get my story straight with the assistants before the, the assessor, which... I thought it was, and I, I didn't bother me a bit. And that's because I told mates this and they went, oh, it's I went, no, of course you're not. A, he was being funny. But B, of course they, of course you back each other up. I wouldn't expect anything other than you back each other up. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. And, and so you should be. We are a team, aren't we? We are well, a team. Well, that's, that's, we are that's, the third team. Well, that's it. When the nice thing bloke. is wrong, I was, I was only... I wasn't even half joking. It's like, it's, it's annoying as a fan to have to acknowledge that the game can continue without fans, but it can't continue without you and and the, the fact is this is why Neil Warnock annoys me because there is a responsibility to because you, you say to people where do you think you know because there's, there's been quite a few new referees this season and it's like it's it's bad enough policemen looking younger but when police referees start looking 12 that's when you start getting really upset but there's been a few new refs this season uh, and and of course they're inexperienced. But a you say to mates, well, where are they going to get their experience from? They've got to, they've got to build, you know. And then b you go, where do you think these referees come from? And the more every time Neil Warnock is visibly shouting at a ref on telly, that's one more referee who doesn't take refereeing up, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Because where do we think referees come from? Because uh, that's like I say, why why would a twelve year old boy or girl want to be a referee when they might think? In 20, 25 years' time, I could be a professional match official and get a certain amount of money, plus bonuses. I didn't realise the referees got bonuses until recently. That annoyed me initially. But why Why would a 12-year-old kid want to be a referee when they... they I imagine they're going through 10 years of absolute nightmare. I just, and we discover that they're going through this alone, without any mentoring. It's, it's just astonishing. I just think it's the same as, as you were saying there. You know, you talk about the bonuses, you talk about what uh, John Moss said to you. I think that um, it's the same with any job. You know, if you're a, if you work in Greg's, you're not going to deliberately make a bad steak bake. Are you? No, you know, I, I just think that you're not going to deliberately go out and try and get your decisions wrong. But just going back to what I think Amp was saying about the social media clips, I saw one at the end of Match of the Day on Saturday 
uh, with the where they all screamed and rolled around. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. They all screamed and rolled around in the chairs at the end of the show, and it was in reference to something that Lacazette had done at Burnley, yeah. one of the games where he sort of screamed as loud as he could. And and I actually watched that game live, and when I saw that, I thought, oh, he's got he's got an injury there, really yeah. bad injury. And and what I realised as he basically got up and ran away as soon as the player had been booked was that he was actually trying to get maybe even a red card because he knew that VAR would look at it and see the contact. And if he could scream at the top of his lungs, which again, Gary Lineker and, and I think it was Ian Wright and, and, and someone else did on, on Saturday that you, you you can see them mocking that, but it's not really that funny, is it? Because again, somebody's attempted to deceive that referee on the Mariner on the day. Well, it's not that funny. And also, you know, I saw a lot of Ian Wright. It's like, it's this, when they behave like that, it's this implication that they were absolute saints on the football pitch, yeah. that they never tried to get anybody booked or sent off, that they never pretended they were hurt, that they never stuck the boot into somebody else, that they never, you know, it's, it's a, and it's always the same with every generation. It's, I'm sure older referees moan about younger referees. It's always the same. But it's, oh, yes, they do. Of course they, of course they do. But it's, it, I think, it, you know, Gary and Ryan, they would have thought that was, I think it was Dion Dublin was the other one, as I recall. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, who's a man who's obsessed by stairs on Homes Under the Hammer, who still can't work out why the first thing he ever says about a house is it's got stairs. But they would presume they lead somewhere, Dion. So I'm not that interested in your opinion on football, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, it's, it's again, this, that's a generation who, 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 not both, but they openly talk about how much they hurt each other. They openly yeah. talk about what they did to each other, and yet, if a player doesn't shake somebody's another player's hand, they're, they're outraged and disgusted. And again, you kind of think they're, they're always there. Well, you could talk to referees in those days, and you know, when you talk to them privately, you know that's not true. What, what they mean is you could talk to Roger Milford. That's what they always say. Oh, yeah, you could talk to Roger Milford, and then they do a bizarre West Country accent because that's how Roger Milford spoke. But of course, when you read about football and you read about, you know, the, it, the referees were some referees you could talk to, and some. You couldn't. It's just something that- well, they say you could talk to them, but look, from that era of football that we're talking about, the last time anyone was mic'd up in a Premier League game oh was my that God. famous David. Arsenal one where they just tore David Ellery apart. If that's what they think talking to the referee yeah. is, they can keep it. Because <laughs> I, when, when, I, when I do a pre-match, before we toss the coin to decide who gets what, I, I have a, ca- a very casual conversation like we're having now. And I said, if you want to talk to me during the game, do it like we're doing now. This yeah. is talking to each other. And I'm happy to have a conversation like this. Talking to me isn't screaming obscenities yeah, at me yeah, from yeah. 10 and 15 yards away. So that's that perception of, oh, I can't talk to this ref. He's just telling me to go away. Well, yeah, I'm going to tell you to go away if that's what you think a conversation is. Well, also, if you, yeah, they say, oh, yeah, Roger Milford would tell me to F off or whatever. It's like, well, a referee can't do that now. We saw what happened in the game against Ipswich when a referee and you know, yeah. a referee squared up to a player. And it's like immediately, even though the player himself said afterwards, didn't bother me for a second, we both shook hands. It's like, oh my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. The referee has taken exception. Uh, and a young man, you know, a spittle-flecked young man shouting in his face and squaring up. And it's like, so if a referee does do that, behave like a human being, it's the referee that gets... Sanctions. So referees are, are between a rock and a hard place. And again, mm. as we come back before, it's it's so difficult for the referee because you can't referee with common sense now because you, you have to referee to the assessor and you have to referee to the law. So if if one referee decides one way, actually that was he probably did catch him from behind, but I'm not going to show a red. Then a player might go, well, that's common sense. But the assessor and and the law say no, it's wrong. It's given. It's, so he can't. So he's 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 stuck basically. And also. It's it's very hard to do any job if you've got fifteen blokes shouting at you. I mean, I know, I know that as a stand-up comedian, it only takes one bloke shouting at you. And I've got more tools in my armory than a, than a referee's got to deal with. To deal with, well, know. yeah, you can deal with hecklers by giving it a, giving it back. It's, the ref's exactly. just got to take it. The ref's just got to take, it and it's it's shocking. I think there's it's interesting. Was it Andy Durst? There was two instances: the, the David Ellery incident. And I've I've met David Ellery a couple a pompous public a, a man who thinks that football the last time old Carthusians won the FA Cup for him was when football was proper a man who implied he knew more about the game than I did or but but, if you, but that incident and I think it was was it Andy Durso at United who got was it Andy Durso who got cornered by the United oh players? they all got on him yeah yeah but they, when he was walking back there was like for six months after each incident football kind of went actually we got a we have to have a look at ourselves here 
And then after that six months period was over, football went back to to how it was. And and I think because of the the amount of cameras on the games, players from a PR point of view now know that it's not a good look to be so you don't see players on mass screaming at referees. They do, but you don't have to be a lip reader to to see what they're saying to every decision. Yeah. Every decision that goes against them, throwing her otherwise is like, oh, fuck off, or we're or it's just so it's and it's difficult to do the job in those circumstances, really. And and again, like I say, but there are still Palace fans who complain that Palace players don't do that enough because they think that might give us a 0.1% edge that somehow the referee might go, oh, they shout a lot. I might give them that 50 50 three kick. Whereas my view is always, well, I tell you what, I'll try not shouting at him, and then he might give us the 50 50 three kick. You know. Keep it simple, get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.